Hello and welcome to Create Conversation. I'm Tobias Lever. Each episode features a conversation with successful creative minds from all areas of the industry. We'll be discussing their experiences and their work. I hope their advice will help to both inspire and encourage you to take the leap and make a career from being creative. For episode seven, we have the one and only DJ Jackie P. Originally from Northampton, Jackie P started out playing in a band with his brother before moving to Birmingham for uni. During his time in Birmingham, he got involved with student radio hosting a new music show for Scratch Radio. His radio presenting continued at Amazing Radio and BBC Introducing before he decided to start his own hip-hop rap night in Birmingham called Skit, which grew to be a great success. In 2017, Jackie P heard on the grapevine that Wolverhampton rapper Scarlord needed a DJ for his London headline show, following his viral hit Heart Attack. After an initial meeting in a hotel lobby, the pair have since been touring the world playing festivals and packed out headline shows everywhere. I spoke to Jackie P about being a jack of all trades, touring life and forcing yourself into situations. Enjoy. So hey man, how's it going? Hey, oh my God, I'm here. I'm here. How, how have you been doing? I haven't spoken to many other humans, so this is good. Oh, really? You've been taking the lockdown quite seriously? Of course, mate, as we as we all should be. <laughs> so um, to, to begin with, like, when, when did you, like, first get involved with music? Because I heard you were, like, playing in bands to begin with. Is that, like, where it started for you? Yeah, man, I mean... Um... I think it's I think it started for me uh just before I came went to university and I started a band with my brother because we were obsessed with like Nirvana and the Pixies and um we liked any band that was shouting basically that wasn't really metal so like we liked kind of the more alternative shouty stuff um so we started one of those and my brother was the lead singer and he was doing all the shouting and I uh, I couldn't be asked to actually learn the guitar. So I bought a guitar from Argos and I just cut the bottom three strings off. Just had the top three kind of bassier strings on the guitar. And uh, I used to just put my finger down and like go up and down like that. <laughs> and then just uh, slap a distortion pedal on it. And um, then we'd get various, uh, various mates of ours to uh, pretend to play the drums. Uh, we didn't actually ever have a real drummer. So we just had some people standing behind a <laughs> snare and a tom, and they would sort of hit it completely out of time. And that was the first band. And it, um, we actually did quite well. We ended up playing shows in London and oh, really? uh, in Milton Keynes. And uh, we, it went way further than it ever, ever should have done because it was fucking terrible. So... <laughs> And then after that, I started doing radio at university. So I did student radio. I did an unsigned new music show at Scratch Radio at Birmingham City University, um, which is where I met most of my friends and people in music. Uh, And then I I was in another band uh, called the Jackarandas that I didn't name, even though it has my name in it. Uh, (laughs) Jackaranda is a a purple tree. Uh, I think it's in Australia. It's It's a kind of tree. I joined that band and again I couldn't play any instruments but I, I learned the bass to be in that band and then uh, after that I carried on doing radio so I did amazing radio in Newcastle 
Uh, they're like a new music station. I did that for a couple of years. And while I was doing that, I also did uh, BBC Introducing in the West Midlands, um, which again was where I met a lot of my friends and people I work with. Uh, and then went from radio into DJing uh, because DJing is more fun. It's like doing the radio, but in front of people. Uh, you can't see anyone when you do the radio. It's no fun. There's no like, uh, there's no tangible audience. So yeah, I started DJing because I, I started my own night in Birmingham uh, at the Sunflower Lounge called Skit, which is like a hip hop rap night. And I used to just book everyone um, from the West Midlands and the UK. I, I, often I didn't often listen to the artists. I just booked them. Like if, if someone told me they were an artist, I would just say, yeah, come and play my night. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I found a bunch of really good artists. So that's, um, that's how I started DJing for Fundo, Fundo Art. I DJed for him uh, for like two and a bit years, I think. Um, yeah, we, we were working hard together. And then, and then off the back of that, I started DJing for Scarlord, um, my, my friend Maz. And then... Um, obviously left all the radio behind when I started DJing for Maz. I just quit pretty much everything because we taught the world. So um, I couldn't really hold any other jobs down. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, wanted to either, you know? <laughs> what, what, what was that like, like touring in the last few years, like all over the place? It must have been crazy. Oh man, it's like, it's, um, if anyone ever says that touring is hard work then they're lying through their teeth, like, especially if you're a DJ. <laughs> like the easiest job like I think everyone around me probably works really hard like the tour managers the tour bus drivers uh, photographers videographers even the artists themselves they, I think they work hard as well but a DJ if you're DJing for someone you're, you're not working hard at all so it's, it's, a, it's a holiday and I, would, I don't think I would ever have got to see the world as much as I did uh, touring with Maz because uh, uh, I don't really go on holiday much so I don't get out much so uh, him him dragging me off on tour was amazing because I got to see all the places um, yeah I feel forever grateful man to, to have seen it all do you, do you feel like like from from your like various projects and things like because you've done a bunch of stuff haven't you you've done like um, you've done a podcast yourself and you've done like all kinds all, all kinds of different projects you've done over like would you say it's been like quite tactical or things have just happened here, there and it's just all sort of naturally evolved? If it was tactical, bro, I think I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> like <laughs> if I was really good at all these things that I tried to do and I actually planned them properly, I think I'd be very successful. Uh, <laughs> but sadly, uh, I'm, a, I'm a jack of all trades uh, and I'm a, a master of none of them so far. But I think if I keep trying new projects, I'm going to end up finding something that I'm good at, maybe. Uh, I'm still searching, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found that million-dollar idea yet. But, uh, but no, I think it's a lot of fun. I just think I don't want to get uh, stuck doing something for too long, I think. Especially, uh, I think you just got to be kind of honest with yourself. If it's not going somewhere, I tend to just kind of leave it alone. Because I don't mm -hmm. really want to keep going at it and um you know another five years down the line how are you doing jack oh i'm still doing that same shit you know i didn't try yeah, yeah. um but one day it's gonna take off you know because uh i've found through through giving up on a bunch of stuff it was probably the best thing i did because um it's helped me to 
just like click refresh and just move on. So I think I think people always say to, to stick at something, and um, I guess for a lot of people that works, but for me that doesn't really work. I kind of, uh, <laughs> but then again, maybe I should try it. Maybe I should try and just sit down and do one thing for a bit, and like you say, it might go somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> But like, like going back to like um, when when you started your own night in Birmingham, like how how did that like begin? Because it must have taken like a fair bit of confidence to like just put your own night on. I, I keep trying to think back in my head because it does baffle me sometimes. I think I was literally just sitting there and I just uh, I just left the band. Um, then I started managing another band, and the and the band that I started managing broke up because they were like a, a couple. Um, and one of them had a kid, but it was with a different guy. And then the guy yeah. that was in the band was then going out of her. And then they had this kid to look after. And uh, they were a great band. And I ended up playing bass for them for a bit. And I got them one show <laughs> at birthdays in Dalston. They played that show. And then they broke up soon after. So I was just sitting there like, well, that's another project down the drain. And uh, I think I was just sitting there in my flat and I was like, what haven't I done before? Um, I know there's something that I know nothing about is doing a rap night, doing a hip hop night. Um, and hip hop was something I always listened to, but it was something I never really took an active role in um, the, the culture of it really, other than just appreciating it. Um, so I started going to a bunch of rap shows um, uh, to like my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, who's still my girlfriend actually, and well, I don't know why I'm saying that at the time. <laughs> um, girlfriend at the time, uh, my girlfriend and one of my best friends, they both worked at the Institute in Birmingham. So mm -hmm. they would get in for free to all these shows. So I'd go and see all these American rap artists coming through. Um, and I remember I saw Ray Shremard play the second room of the institute and it blew my mind because they were like the the biggest rock stars i'd ever seen um like way more rock and roll than any band i'd ever seen and i was just like these guys are having so much fun and they've just got a dj and two mics and they're putting on this this like insane show and i was like that's something that i could do like so and i realized in birmingham at the time this is like 2015 so at the time there wasn't any like hip-hop nights like catering to hip-hop there was a few grime raves but not really um like just a, a friendly all welcome kind of hip-hop night uh I wanted a, to, a gap in the market yeah i wanted it to be way more laid back and you know invite everyone and it just be more about just live music rather than like raving you know um mm -hmm. and I, I just i booked everyone i just started booking people and then i had to learn how to dj on the spot because i didn't realize that all these artists didn't have their own DJs. I just assumed they did. And they did. Right, right. Yeah. So again, I went and got the, these cheap <laughs> pair of CDJs. Um, and I was DJing for every artist on the bill. So it would be like three or four artists every month. And I'd just DJ for them all. And I'd like send me music and I'd put it on my USB. And I had to learn stuff. Like I had to learn like what a wheel up was and stuff because I had no idea at the time. So I remember DJing for this rapper called Taylor Mace and she turned around and was like, the crowd is feeling it, like, wheel it up, man, wheel it up. And I was like, wheel it up, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> I started pressing buttons on the CDJs, and then I just, like, turned the track off. <laughs> and she turned around and looked at me, like, what are you doing? That's not how you wheel it up. Like, come on, like, wheel it. And started doing the motion of 
wheeling it up. I was like, oh, rewinding it. Yes, okay. And uh, I've never felt more white in my entire life. That was like the whitest moment of my life, I think, so far. Because I think there's some whiter moments on the way. But um, <laughs> that was some funny stuff. And then uh, I just learned on the job, basically, doing this night. And it was so funny because every time I booked someone um, who I'd never met before, especially artists from London, I, like I booked um, Octavian when he was really small. He was under the name Octavian OG at the time. Uh, like when I booked him, I booked House of Pharaohs, booked these guys from London. They would turn mm. up to this venue in Birmingham and they'd take one look at me and be like, are you the guy putting the night on? I'd be like, yes, I am. Pleased to meet you. Come on in. Like, <laughs> this really tall, lanky guy in skinny jeans. Like, are you the guy doing the hip-hop night? Yes, that is me. Um, and it just filled a space in, in Birmingham. And since then, a lot of like hip-hop nights have popped up and um, I think there's some still going strong. But I'm glad I did it at the time because I think it inspired a lot of people that, you know, if this idiot can do it, then I can probably do it as well and do a better job of it. And they they since have. So. <laughs> and like, when when you're like, I've I've not actually seen you, but I've seen like the videos and and stuff you've put out, and it looks pretty wild. Like you 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 go pretty crazy, don't you? So like, where 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 does that come from? You know, just like jumping around and going mad. It's me. Um... It's like almost like my body rejecting the fact that I'm on this giant stage in front of all these people. It's a sense of like not belonging there. And I think there's something in my body that's just telling me to run away and uh, jump, jump out of the situation because it's so terrifying. And I feel like because I'm the DJ, I'm not the artist. It's like, why on earth are you here, you know? So I just, I just lose it. And um, I, I tend to just try to have the most fun because it's like, I feel like any moment someone is going to realize that this guy doesn't know what he's doing and we need to get him off the stage. So I need to have as much fun as possible um, before they drag me off the stage. <laughs> so that's why I'm jumping around going crazy because honestly, it's a dream to be up there because it's something I've always wanted to do. So um, I think I just have way too much fun. But also I think it helps the, in a weird way, it kind of helps the audience loosen up a bit because they'll never look as stupid as me on stage. So I mm -hmm. think they can have fun, you know? And uh, they're like, I'll never look as weird as that guy. So I can cut loose a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like you, you, you've got like a lot of like, like close relationships with like bands, like Easy Life and stuff, right? Oh, the like, boys. The boys. So like, wh what's, it, what's it like, like playing, playing shows with like, with, with like your best mates? Oh, mate, so like, I think I... I forced myself into the lives of Easy Life. Like, uh, I heard them on Phil Taggart's Radio 1 show for the first time. I heard Pockets, their song Pockets on his show, and I became obsessed. And then, obviously, I looked them up online, and their guitarist, Lewis, is someone that I knew from playing in one of my old bands, because my old band supported his old band. So I was mm -hmm. on tour with uh, Scarlett at the time. We were in Australia. Um, and I messaged Lewis and I was like, bro, I'm obsessed with this new band that you're in, Easy Life. And he was like, bro, that means so much. And I was like, we haven't spoken for ages. Like, and this was kind of like end of 2018 time. Um, and they had a tour coming up beginning of 2019. And I was like, Lewis, I'm going to tell you this now. I'm going to be opening up for you guys on this tour. Like, I'm going to come and do a DJ set every night of this Easy Life tour. 
And he was like, yeah, we've already supported it. We've already sorted a support act. Um, so we won't be able to pay you or anything. And you, you know, you won't be officially on the tour. And I was like, that's fine, but I'm going to be there every night and I'm going to play before the support act comes on. So I kind of just forced myself um, into their world and I've, and, uh, I've become good friends with them all um, through it because uh, they're all such lovely guys. And yeah, they're like one of my favorite bands ever. So it is a lot of fun. I think, um, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have any choice in the matter of becoming friends with me. That was all my idea. <laughs> How did you um, meet Scarlord? How did that happen? That's a similar situation to Easy Life, to be honest, because uh, he was looking for a DJ around summer of 2017 because one of his songs, Heart Attack, had gone like massively viral on YouTube. It went, it went crazy overnight, like millions and millions of views, and it just exploded. And he got management, and he got all these show offers, and like word on the, on the Birmingham kind of grapevine going around like the messages, like WhatsApp and Instagram. Everyone was like, Scarlett, looking for a DJ, looking for a DJ. And uh, a friend of a friend messaged me and said, do you know any DJs because Scarlett's looking for one? And I was like, yeah, I know me. I know me. I'm a DJ. And I was like, I need to get in a room with this guy because, you know, he's going to be off touring the world. I need to convince him that I'm the, I'm the geezer for the job. Um, and I ended up going to have a cider with him in a in a uh, hotel lobby in Wolverhampton, this random hotel lobby, we met up for a drink. Um, and the first thing he said to me was like, when I said hello, he was like, oh, you're British. Like, I swear you're Polish, bro. I swear you're <laughs> Polish from like the way you dress, the way you look, you look like a Polish guy. And I was like, cool. <laughs> that was like our first interaction. And then he was like, yeah, I just need a DJ. For, and, and at that point, it was just for one show because he just had like a UK headline show in London books. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it, man. And I, and I just said, I'm, I'm your guy. And he was like, can you DJ? And I was like, yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> I can pretty much DJ. I'm like, and then we started doing rehearsals. We rehearsed in this tiny little room in, in uh, JJM Studios in Warsaw. Shout out Reese Hayden from JJM Studios. Lovely guy. He's sorted us out. We started DJing in this, this little, uh, practicing in this tiny room. And we just hit it off because we were going crazy in this little room, treating it like we were at one of his shows. And I think he really liked the energy because um, he was uh, rehearsing with a few other DJs, trying to feel it out. Um, and uh, he, he chose me and he stuck with me. He's, he's, a very, uh, he's a very loyal guy. He likes to give you your chance. And if you, obviously, if you please him if you please the lord then uh, <laughs> and you get the job and and he wants you to stick around and he you know because i know a lot of artists go through a lot of people in their core team you know mm. they fire people hire people blah, blah 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 keep going keep going and he believes in having a, his set group around him and keeping him with him so i really appreciate that because done mm. so much with the lad so so from from when you first met him was it quite um clear that he was like going to go and tour the world or was that kind of like, did it unfold more slowly? Yeah, man. Well, it was, well, when I met him, it was like, it was already kind of, uh, it was, uh, it was pre-decided because um, he had all these show offers. So obviously his song went viral um, and then literally festivals were hitting up, promoters were hitting him up. Um, we were actually supposed to do a show in, uh, in France at one point with 6 9 I think because 6 9 was sort of blowing up at the same time. 
we were supposed to do a show with him, but that, that fell through for conflict of, uh, what is it, conflict of dates, I think. But a bunch of stuff came through. All this massive stuff came through all at once. Like all these rock festivals were trying to book in, all these rap promoters were trying to book in, and both worlds were like really interested in him. So as mm. soon as I met him, he was like, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to get really crazy. Um, and I hope you're ready for it to get crazy. And I was like, I want it to get crazy. I've been, <laughs> I've been waiting for something real crazy to happen, you know, because I've been, I've been doing my night in Birmingham and it was okay, you know, like we'd have a few people come in. I'd, I'd DJ this night called Moho in Birmingham and that was fun. Like that was always packed. But, you know, you when whenever you're doing something, you're always craving for the next level up. And mm-hmm. uh, his, what he was doing was the next level up. So, um he just dragged me along for the ride. It's, I still can't believe it. Whenever I'm on stage with him and there's like thousands of people out there, I still, it still feels like a dream. So that's probably why I'm acting so crazy because I think I'm in a dream. And <laughs> nothing I do has any consequence. So <laughs> that's yeah. probably why I'm acting all crazy. <laughs> like from, from that like craziness, when, when you are like on stage and touring, what, what's it like to then come back like after you've been around going going wild and then sort of adjusting to oh mate it's uh it's so difficult i wish i i wish i could say something different because i know every every musician has to deal with it every touring musician has to deal with it and uh i wish i could say that it's like super easy just come home and chill or whatever but it really isn't it just gets to you man because like i think it's it's the adrenaline like you have this adrenaline rush for like two hours every night it gets addictive, you know, that feeling gets so addictive. And then when you come home to like the normal world and there isn't loads of loud noises and screaming and just chaos and traveling and, you know, doing whatever you want, like you are in a dream, acting like there's no consequence, you come home to the consequences and uh, it's, uh, it's difficult. And um, I, was, I was, the first time I came back from two like month long tours so i was like out from like almost three months we did europe and america like back to back for the first time i came back and i was just an asshole i wasn't very nice to be around because i was just trying to deal with uh deal with uh you know just being a normal human being again and uh i've got a lot better with it um but the first time i came back i was just super grumpy and uh I had like mad mood swings and stuff and uh, it was really hard. It was really hard to deal with. Like, but the main thing, the main reason why it's hard to deal with is because you have no, you have no understanding of why you feel like that. There's no like mm-hmm. reason. It's not like, Oh, my back hurts or whatever. So that's why I'm grumpy. You're just like, well, for me anyway, I don't know if it's like this for other people I think it might be, but you just feel down and you feel these mood swings come and go like crazy. And you have no idea why it's happening. So it's really hard to like stop it or control it, you know? So that's when I turn to the drugs and the booze and that helps out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Not really. But I do like a drink. But yeah, you just got to deal with it yourself, I guess. You just got to look in the mirror, take a long, hard look and be like, it's fine. You know, uh, you're going you're gonna to be all right. <laughs> and like, like over the years, like you've you've been like super motivated with all your different projects. What what would you say is like your main your main drive that that you know makes makes you do all these things? I think I think it goes back to just 
you know, I just enjoy being like an entertainer. I think I enjoy entertaining people, making people laugh, um, or, or, you know, being the reason why people are having a good time. It's like a, it's a super egotistical thing, really, man. You know, it's, <laughs> I just really want people to love me. So, <laughs> no, it's, uh, I just love the feeling of entertaining and being a part of something that is entertaining, you know, in, in all kinds of ways. I think that's why I've, I've done so many different projects it's because it's but it's all in the kind of entertainment realm you know like radio like youtube you know djing it's all about i want to give people out there um something to be entertained by and i want them to have fun in my presence um because i think when i was when i was at school i uh i didn't speak to anyone i had literally no friends and i was i was just kind of just a recluse and I would just sit in my classrooms and I would just draw comics. I would draw these like little comic books and then I'd get my dad to photocopy them at work. And then I would do, distribute them to people around the school and be like, oh, you know, you can read my comic if you want. And people loved these stupid little comics that I made. And uh, that was how I, uh, uh, that's how I communicate with people and how I communicate with the world. Cause I wasn't very good at like being, Hey guys, want to be friends with me? Like let's mm. be friends. Instead I would make something and give it to them because I wanted to entertain them. And I think, I think that's where it's come from. It's just, it's been the same ever since. Cause uh, I think people always think I'm this mad, like, Oh yeah, bro, you must be like this mad confident guy. Like, why are you so crazy, bro? Why are you so crazy? And it's like, I'm not actually that, well, I don't think I am anyway. I think I'm actually quite a quiet person. It's just when it comes to, you know, making something to entertain people, I put my all into it, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I think that's what I always wanted to do. Because I think, um, you know, I admire people like, you know, the firefighters of the world and the doctors of the world and the people, um, you know, saving and helping other people. And I honestly think that the entertainment industry is as important as those things because people mm. need an escape and they need they need to just be entertained. Sometimes you just want to sit there, crack YouTube on, and watch some guy be stupid for a bit. You know, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I think I wanted to do it for other people as well. And like, you know, obviously I had that opportunity of going around the world with Scarlet and I wanted to... Um, you know, record it and show it to people and go, look at all this. Cause um, I always want to bring people in. I never want it to be like a experience just for me. You know, I mm-hmm. want to bring an audience in and bring, bring people together, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this summer you probably had a lot of shows booked, did you? Oh man. Yeah. We had the whole year booked up as we usually do. Yeah. And then uh, the carpet, was uh was ripped out from under our feet so i was i was kind of left there like what do i do now <laughs> like i'm horribly unemployed um and i actually got a job in a in a coffee shop right before like lockdown fully clamped because obviously our shows uh were cancelled before lockdown fully happens so i was like okay fair enough i need to go join the real world, get a real job for a bit, man. Um, and I got a job in a coffee shop. And in the same email, they, uh, they hired and fired me. They were like, oh, uh, wow. you've, got, you've got the job uh, because you were great in your trial shift. But just so you know, we can't actually give you any shifts because 
we're closing indefinitely because everywhere's obviously closing. So I was like, oh. whoa. It was like the most uh, anticlimactic thing. But yeah, I've just, I've literally just been, for the past two months, I've been writing the script and, and screenplay for a, for a film. Um, oh, wow. Because again, yeah, something I've never done before. Um, but I literally wrote it for two months. And then when lockdown started getting, to, getting eased up, uh, I started. I've started filming it, so we're like, we're about like five scenes deep now. Um, it's I've, I'm starring in it. Obviously, I've got to have me in it. Uh, my brother's in it. He's a he's a trained actor. He did acting at university, and he's got like an agent, and he does adverts and stuff like that. So I've asked him to be in my shitty little film, and he said yeah. And uh, some friends of his uh, who also studied acting with him at uni. So. Uh, it's a very low budget film. It's just me and my camcorder and these guys who I've roped in to be in it. Can you give anything away about like the uh, the storyline or the style? Yeah, I'd love I'd love to give it all away. Yeah, how long you got, man? Like, <laughs> the film, the, film uh, the film's called Cookie Dust, and it is about a drug, this new drug um, that gets invented that when you take it. It, um, it increases your creative abilities. So someone snorting the drug who has no creativity whatsoever would then run into a studio and record a full studio album. Wow. And uh, it's, about, it's about that drug. And then this, as a band that I've made up, this made up band get hold of the drug and it's the, the effect of the drug on them. And then there's also a cowboy involved there's some aliens involved, the devil's involved, um, and yeah, it's all wrapped up. So it, it's a it's a bunch of nonsense to be honest, but coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, I, the script. My my brother said to me, "You do realize that the script is like five hours long," and I was like, "Holy shit!" Because I hadn't sit, I hadn't sat down and actually timed how long any of it was. I just it was literally just a splurge of me just writing the whole thing. I'd never written one before. But yeah, it's about five hours worth of material. So director's cut edition is going to be six hours long. And then the <laughs> the actual one that I put out on YouTube is probably going to be an hour and a half. So, but yeah, coming soon, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, for real. What, what about the um the Cowboy Biff Bop? Yeah, Cowboy Biff Bop, that... that uh, that ties in with with the film because uh, Biff is the cowboy character in the film Cookie Dust, and when he takes the drug, he records his own song. So this cowboy starts rapping. So for the film, I made the song like to be part of the soundtrack. Um, I made it with my friend uh, George. Shout out George. We made it in about three hours the other day. Um, and I loved making the song so much, do, doing this stupid kind of Matthew McConaughey, like Texas cowboy voice. I loved it so much. So I was like, I want to I wanna keep doing this because this is fucking jokes. So I'm going to carry on making songs under this alias of, uh, of Cowboy Biff Bop, which is, uh, which is like a ripoff of Cowboy Bebop, that great anime. Um, but I've also just put the word Biff in it because that's the name of the cowboy's name, Biff. So. It's all it's all just a bunch of nonsense really man but it's a, it's a 
that is a lot of fun, you know. And uh, I'm gonna keep doing that. And I shot a, uh, I shot a music video for the song uh, yesterday. Oh right, yeah. You said you said you were doing a shoot yesterday. I was wondering what that was. So that was the music video for Cowboy Biff Bop. Yeah, man. The the oh the wow. Freestyle. Uh, I was in a uh, I was in a wooden cage that we put on top of a giant hill, basically, and I was dancing around in the cage um, in the kind of hills of Yorkshire. So, and I shot that with my friend Barnaby. He's a great, uh, great videographer, and he's worked with like you know real artists like Twisted Wheel and Pete Doherty, um, and he's also worked with me, Cowboy Biff Bop. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that to add to his CV. <laughs> Yeah, man. So that's coming soon as well. Um, yeah, exciting. Be polluting the YouTube airwaves, basically, with all this, with all this shit that's coming soon. <laughs> right to sort of um, finish up, I want to know what your advice would be to anyone like pursuing maybe starting like their own night or a radio show or starting out DJing. What would you say? I, I think the uh, I think the best bit of advice I can give is um, do, don't worry at all about trying to learn stuff. I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on you must learn how to do something before you try and do it. And I think, um, I think for me anyway, from my experience, it's a nonsense, mate. Nonsense. Like, because you learn so much by doing. So I had no idea how to DJ. So what I did was I bought some decks and I forced myself into the nightmare that is going onto a stage and pretending to know how to use these decks while you're working with some rappers who you've never met before. And you have to learn in, in like, you know, about, you know, a split second how to DJ because the show is about to begin. So the amount of stuff that I learned from just like fucking it up is way more than I would have if I sat there and was like, right, let me learn how to use these decks for about a month. And then I'll be ready to do my night or whatever, you know? And it's the mm. same with me making a film. I never made a film before, never written a script. So I just I just did it. And, you know, I've made so many mistakes. There's so many things I didn't think about when I was making this film. But I've only learned them by literally doing it, you know, going in blind and just attacking it. And I think a lot can be said for doing that, you know? You don't, I don't think you have to sit there and learn and become some kind of expert, really. I think you're going to learn the most by just uh, going and doing it and, and fucking it up a lot, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's my advice, really. That's, that's about all I've got. That's about all the wisdom I've got for you, man. So that was episode seven with DJ Jackie P. You can follow him on Instagram at DJ Jackie P. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at create underscore convo. Thank you for listening.